This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to while on the way to work. David Vassay. Welcome to episode 24 of the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona Extra. We are celebrating baseball with exclusive interviews and insider info around the boys in blue. Find the fine life and please drink responsibly. We got a great episode for you and thanks again for downloading and subscribing and listening to some Extra Innings Baseball podcast. Andre Ethier will join us in just a moment, but we do have some things to get to before we hear from Andre Ethier. Batting leadoff, host of the Extra Innings podcast, David Vassay. All right, we are getting closer to October, and as we record episode 24, there are only 16 games left in the regular season, and the Dodgers remain three games back of the Giants in the loss column. No doubt, time is running out on the Dodgers, even though they are on pace to win over 100 games this season. They have done that twice before over the course of the last seven years. This will be the third time under Andrew Friedman that they have won over 100 games. So even with that, the Giants have had an extraordinary year. They're on pace to win 106 games. So it's becoming more of a reality. The Dodgers may be playing in the wild card game, and I know many people are upset that two 100-win teams would have to play in a wild card game, but that's the system right now, and that's what the Dodgers are facing if things were to continue the way they're going right now, and the Padres are completely done, and the Giants and Padres play each other 10 times the last uh, two and a half weeks of the season. The Giants have already won the first three of those 10, and the Padres, I think you could stick a fork in them, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jace Tingler was no longer their manager next year. I have heard a lot of rumors that Bruce Bochy is waiting in the wings to return to the Padres if the Padres decide that's enough for Tingler. Yeah. Bruce Bochy going back to the Padres. So that's the rumor around Major League Baseball. But nonetheless, the Dodgers are looking at a wild card game right now at Dodger Stadium. And I don't believe it's going to be the Padres. It looks like it's going to be either the Cincinnati Reds or St. Louis Cardinals. The Reds are playing just as poorly as the Padres are right now. They have lost seven of their last ten, including four in a row. The Cardinals, after splitting that four-game series against the Dodgers, have a lot easier of a schedule, even though they do have one more series against the Milwaukee Brewers. They may have two before the end of the year, but one of these teams is going to back in, back into that second wildcard spot and have to play the Dodgers. And when I say back in, that means they're not a hot team. 
That means the Dodgers would not have to deal with a streaking hot team that made a late season run to get into the wild card. No, none of these three teams are catching fire. And as it stands right now, as we record episode 24, the Cardinals are the team in the second wild card spot, a game better than the Reds and Padres. And we all know there's a long history between the Dodgers and Cardinals. And I guess we're all traumatized by the Cardinals beating the Dodgers in dramatic fashion. Game 6, 2013, just blew them out. Uh, Kershaw left on the mound. 2014, same thing. Matt Adams, walk-off home run. And my first trauma in the Dodger-Cardinal rivalry, 1985. The Dodgers win the first two games of the NLCS, and the Cardinals come back to win four in a row, including Jack Clark's go-ahead home run off of Tom Needenfewer in 1985. So there is a long list of traumatic events if you're a Dodger fan when it comes to Dodgers-Cardinals playoff history. But in this case, that's history. That is history. In every sense of the word, the Dodgers are better than the Cardinals. The Cardinals are a really good defensive team. They are not going to give extra outs, but I could see Adam Wainwright versus Max Scherzer wild card game at Dodger Stadium. And there is no doubt in my mind that Max Scherzer will be on the mound for the Dodgers in that wild card game at Dodger Stadium. And if that's a day game or even a five o'clock game, it plays into Scherzer's hands. He's a better day pitcher. He takes advantage of that. Plus the shadows, if the game were to start anywhere between four and six o'clock, would work in Max Scherzer's favor. So I don't see I don't see the Dodgers going with Walker Bueller or Clayton Kershaw or anybody else. It's Max Scherzer for the wild card game. Expect it, believe it, and don't be traumatized by anything you see out there. Trust your eyes. Max Scherzer at Dodger Stadium in his career, hitters are only hitting 200 against him, and he has only given up five home runs in about 15 starts at Dodger Stadium. And then you throw in the shadows like we saw on Labor Day at Bush Stadium. The Cardinals have no chance to hit him. The Dodger offense would have to step up. All right, another thing we haven't talked about and nobody has heard from is Nomar Garcia-Para on the induction of Derek Jeter. When you talk about Derek Jeter, Nomar Garcia-Para is right there in the same sentence because they were linked for about six or seven years together as two of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball while they were on the field. And I thought it was interesting that some people back in New England felt the need to try to tear down Jeter to prop up Nomar. Derek Jeter is a hands-down first ballot Hall of Famer. He should have been a unanimous Hall of Famer. There was one voter that did not vote for Jeter, and he called them out. But Nomar and Jeter pushed each other, and there is a strong case to be made that Nomar Garcia-Para was a better baseball player than Derek Jeter when he was healthy with the Red Sox from 1997 to 2003. There's, there is definitely a case to be made for that. And Jared Carabas, uh, 
put that out there. I think he he uh, does stuff for Barstool. He's a New Englander, Bostonian, chowderhead. So you know he's going to back up his guy. But I thought it was very interesting that he pointed out from 97 to 2003, Nomar was better in every single offensive category uh, outside of singles, outside of base hits than Derek Jeter. And if you watch Jeter and Nomar play shortstop, there's no doubt in my mind, Nomar Garcia-Para was a better defensive shortstop. And I have always said this, if Derek Jeter did not get drafted by the Yankees and was playing for the Brewers or the Royals, yeah, he still would have been a Hall of Famer, but he wouldn't have this mythical aura around him that he does being part of those Yankee teams that won four World Series championships that he had a big part in. But, you know, I, I just don't think you tear down Jeter to prop up Nomar. Nomar can stand on his own two feet. And unfortunately for Nomar, he had a lot of injuries after 2000 or in 2003. And even in 2001, he started to have a, a wrist problem. So injuries really derailed what would have been a slam dunk Hall of Fame career. But I would love to know the criteria for the Hall of Fame because it seems like they pick and choose when they want to take a player's best six years compared to another player's longevity. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency. And for me, there is an argument to be made that Nomar should at least be on the ballot and should continue to get consideration. But nobody has heard from Nomar regarding Derek Jeter going into the Hall of Fame. And Nomar joined us after one of the Dodger games, as he often does, and I asked him about his thoughts on Jeter going into the Hall of Fame. Well, listen, first of all, uh, uh, watching it, uh, I was so happy for him and obviously so well-deserved. I mean, he, he's a Hall of Fame player. No, there's no question about it. What he's done in the game throughout his career, I think uh, uh, people may not understand. I mean, we, when we competed against each other, there was so much, and we continue to have just a mutual respect for each other. Uh, we always had great conversations. Uh, even to this day when we see each other, uh, it's awesome to always just chat, not only about life, about baseball and all the things that we experience together. So there's always just a huge, huge respect and admiration. And uh, so for me, just seeing him, Larry Walker, everybody who's inducted, it's obviously a huge honor uh, when people talk about us or whatever. I mean, listen, that's, that was great. I mean, we played in the time. Um, it was a bit, you know, it's still a big rivalry, but I also think we kind of created something even more within that rivalry. We were at two teams really competing, always competing down the stretch, which makes it great for baseball. I mean, look at right now when the Dodgers and the Giants right now who are competing down the stretch, how everybody's vested in the sport, watching it, going, wow, look at those two teams go out in the division. That's what it was for us for a long time. And that's what makes it great. So if it got more people to love the game more, to watch it more, to follow it more, we did our jobs, and hopefully we did this game of service, and, and that's just that's awesome. So, uh, you know, congratulations to him. Like I said, well-deserved. So much respect for him and, and, and happy for him. And that's the only place that you'll hear Nomar Garcia-Para talk about Derek Jeter's induction into the Hall of Fame. I did not hear him on any national broadcast, so – those were his thoughts on Jeter going into the Hall of Fame, and I feel like you could say this. They were rivals in a good way. They were rivals when they played against each other, Yankees, Red Sox, playing the same position, trying to win the division. 
Nomar, unfortunately, never had a Mariano Rivera in the Red Sox bullpen. The only time they got a closer was the year after he got traded. So uh, he never had the team that Jeter had consistently around him. And there certainly is a case to be made from 1997 to 2003, a single player, better skills, better numbers, better player, Nomar Garcia-Para. All right, one more other thing before we get to Andre Ethier. You may have heard me on Tuesday night talking about Mike Piazza and how ridiculous this tweet was. Hey, guys, it's Mike Piazza, former Dodger and Hall of Famer. Get out and vote. Get out and vote to recall Gavin Newsom and put Larry Elder in Sacramento. Here's the deal. If you guys do this, I'll personally come out to Dodger Stadium and thank all the Dodger fans who voted for him and say hi to a lot of friends I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, so that was part of the video message to encourage people in California to recall the governor, Gavin Newsom. And look, I don't care where you sit on either side of politics, but for Mike Piazza to put out a video to have fans in Los Angeles go out and vote for the person he supports, the political person he supports, and dangle a carrot that if you go out and do it, and if my candidate wins, then I'll come back to Dodger Stadium. No thanks, Mike. No thanks. We don't need Mike Piazza to come back to Dodger Stadium. Mike Piazza must be delusional. All right, maybe in 2005, 2008, everybody would have loved to have Mike Piazza come back to Dodger Stadium. But the Dodgers right now are in a stretch of unprecedented success. Nine straight years going to the playoffs. They're coming off a World Series championship. And it's not cool, regardless of how you would like to see the governor's race play out. If you want to come back to Dodger Stadium and finally be honored for making the Hall of Fame, then do it. Do it on baseball terms and leave your political leverage out of it. Not to mention that video came out a day after the Dodgers were honoring Tommy Lasorda at Dodger Stadium and Mike's 23-year-old grudge would not allow him to come out for Tommy Lasorda, the man that urged the Dodgers to draft him in the 65th round to give him the opportunity to become the player that he eventually did. There is no Mike Piazza without Tommy Lasorda. Make no mistake about that. So Mike Piazzo, no matter what he says, has carried a 23-year-old grudge against the Dodgers, but all of a sudden, he will come back to Dodger Stadium and grace you with his presence contingent on a political candidate winning a political race, or at the very least, you voting for his guy, and he'll come back to Dodger Stadium. You know what? I was the biggest Mike Piazza fan in high school. That was when I was in high school, when he was coming up with the Dodgers. And I have been a strong supporter of Mike Piazza. But at this point in time, I am not. And sorry, Mike, we don't need you to come back to Dodger Stadium. You don't have that great of a legacy with the Dodgers. You had great individual numbers, but your teams didn't do much thanks to you. 
You were in the NLDS unceremoniously swept two consecutive years in 95 and 96, and you batted 214 and 95, and you didn't hit a home run in 96. You didn't do much of anything in the playoffs. And look, it's 2021. We don't need Mike Piazza back at Dodger Stadium. The Dodgers, under this ownership group, have extended multiple invitations to celebrate Mike after he got into the Hall of Fame, and he chose to decline it. So Gavin Newsom did not get recalled, and I guess we'll have to live without Mike Piazza coming back to Dodger Stadium. Uh, Don't try to hold us hostage again, Mike, because nobody really is thinking about when is Mike Piazza coming back to Dodger Stadium anymore. Sorry, check the ego and enjoy Ray Ordonez or Benny Ogbayani night at City Field. My favorite. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to see you're not wearing khakis. Your favorite. And not everyone holds themselves to a high physical standard around here, but... Uh, Probably not Vasse's favorite. I know no one listens to your show, so... <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Just kidding. DV is joined by Andre Ethier. Yes, we are joined by a real Dodger, a man that spent his entire 12-year major league career with the Dodgers and would never hold this fan base hostage to vote for a political candidate like Mike Piazza did. Dre, how you doing? <laughs> hey, isn't that your favorite player though? Not anymore. Oh wow. You can't you can't hold a fan base hostage for your own political interest and we don't need Mike Piazza to come back to Dodger Stadium. I thought he already said he never was going to come back. So what's the difference? And well, I thought he doesn't even associate himself with California. Exactly. He's uh he lives in Florida, spends time in Italy, and has held a 23 year old grudge against the Dodgers. But uh, when they were doing this recall election out here in California, he put out a video that I just played that said, "Dodger fans, if you vote for candidate A." I will come back to Dodger Stadium. It's like, we don't need you to come back to Dodger Stadium. Sorry. And don't hold us hostage just to vote for the person you want. You would never do that. I I don't even know where to start or begin or end with that. Um, I didn't even know that was a a thing out there. But uh, I guess good for him uh, for having... uh, a political will to, to to steer his fan base a certain way. Yeah, enjoy enjoy Benny Agbayani night at City Field, Mike. We don't need you here. We're winning world championships and going to the playoffs nine straight years while the Mets are in complete disarray. And Andre, the Dodgers have clinched their ninth playoff berth. You were there from the bottom to the top. Back in 2012, when the Guggenheim Baseball Group took over and you were on the team, the first of these nine consecutive playoff teams, it's been a long ride, and now it's something that's become expected. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think, like you said, start from the bottom there. Um, you know, there's success, successful years before that, but there's kind of a little uh, down period where I think the team is trying to get its footing, and, you know, we've got to give a lot of credit to uh, the Guggenheim Group for coming in and, making the changes and making the changes right away and sticking to it and sticking to the plan and not just uh, giving up. Um, and, and, and I think you understand what I mean by, you know, not giving up, they, you know, didn't get the ultimate goal, which was winning a world series after all the time, all the, all the financial efforts they put into this and coming up short many times um, they kept putting it 
out there and putting the product out there and, and trying different ways, but not pulling back any way of, uh, you know, their spending habits. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a thing where um, got a lot of give a lot of credit to them, but you got to give a lot of credit to the countless players and I guess organization members that have come through and have kind of kept the streak going. And in a lot of ways, the Adrian Gonzalez trade was a signal that they were here to stay and they meant business. But I felt like the first sign that this ownership group was in it to win it was when they gave you that extension that kept you in a Dodger uniform the rest of your career. Did you feel the same way at that time? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think that was their their sign of being committed to you know not just coming in and, and blowing up things, you know, and maybe starting from new. They were gonna start with you know with what they had and, and slowly built it from there. And yeah, I think they made a lot of moves that summer in 2012 to put this team an organization in a, in a spot to go out and, and have a chance to, you know, be successful in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that's what, you know, started off that year, didn't end up the way we want. Uh, you know, those, that awful team from up North uh, was, it was, uh, you know, prevailing that year, but, um, you know, I, I think it is just, it's the steadfastness. You see a lot of teams right across baseball, go for it and try it, but it's maybe only two or three years and it doesn't work out. And all of a sudden you still, you know, the reins get pulling off. They're selling off players. I mean, a team that beat us in uh, 16 right there uh, is a team that an organization that doesn't even resemble itself anymore. And, you know, that being the Cubs. So you can see uh, how things change quickly in this, this team and this ownership group has not done that. They're trying to stick with a, a plan and a, a pattern and, and going with it all the way. And they continue to invest in the team. They did so at the trade deadline as the Dodgers traded away a few prospects, including Kbert Ruiz, to win now with Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, and they have paid off big dividends. And Max Scherzer, Andre, reached a career milestone this past Sunday against the Padres. Hosmer the hitter. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike three. 3,000 strikeouts from Max Scherzer, becoming the 19th pitcher in Major League history to enter that very exclusive club. A standing ovation inside Dodger Stadium. Max Scherzer into the history books. 3,000 strikeouts, Dre, and I'm sure you're part of those 3,000 at some point in time, but... I know you told us on a couple of episodes ago that the Max Scherzer you saw in Arizona was certainly not the same Max Scherzer that you saw in Washington and you see now. Yeah, no, by no means. Uh, I mean, it's I, I, I had no idea. I knew he had a ton of strikeouts, but I didn't know he was that close to, to 3,000. And um, to see the list of names on that and to see the list of all the other accomplishments he has, um, it's pretty special to know that uh, you've got a chance to compete against, you know, a guy who's, you know, a top 20 pitcher in all of baseball, you know, in all the history of baseball. And you got a chance to compete against him uh, many times over. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where as Dodger fans, you got to be pinching yourself and very lucky to have, uh, you know, a Hall of Famer on your team. And not only Hall of Famer, but a Hall of Famer, still at the top of his game and at the top of the game, uh, you know, pitching uh, for you at this moment. Andre, I said this earlier, and I have said it a few times, that I believe Max Scherzer will be the Dodger pitcher 
for the wild card game. Is there any doubt in your mind that Scherzer won't be that starter? Uh, I think that's a, a safe of a bet you can take in, in all the sports right now. Um, is there anyone, when you look across that pitching staff and see who you have and see the body of work and see the, the games they've pitched in, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I think we got to give a lot of credit to Kershaw on what he's done and, and how he's pitched. Um, but, you know, him not being fully healthy doing that, I don't think it even comes into the equation. So, we know what we have, and it's Max Scherzer and his, uh, I, I think, what we see in those highlights, the guy who wants to go out there and steal your soul and, and win the game all on his own. And not to mention, if there's a wild card game at Dodger Stadium, it will be nationally televised, so there's a good chance it will start at 5 o'clock Pacific time, which means shadows, Andre, and we saw what Scherzer could do with shadows on Labor Day against the Cardinals where – he carved them up for eight scoreless innings and 13 strikeouts. I think you're giving those shadows a little too much credit, Dave. I think he can do uh, just <laughs> as well with, with or without the shadows. Um, he's doing just fine. And um, I know a guy like you can't be imaginary, you know, like that. Can't imagine a guy being successful without him. But uh, <laughs> he even said it. He even said the shadows helped me out. Yeah, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Wow. Did you ever hit in shadows? Is that a hitter's nightmare at Dodger Stadium Sunday night baseball? Oh, uh, there's nothing worse. I mean, there's, hey, you're in the playoffs, right? Everyone's excited doing it, and all of a sudden you see you have that 4 o'clock uh, nationally televised game, and you're just like, my goodness, this is going to be tough. First couple of bats. And, um, yeah, it's, it is. It's a, it's a tough thing to go up there and stand uh, in that batter's box and have – the pitcher, maybe just the mound and the pitcher in the sun, and you got reflections off the seats in center field, and you are in the shadows, and that thing just keeps creeping and creeping and creeping. And then even when it covers, you know, all the infield, you still have just that brightness of the backdrop and the rest of the field in the, you know, a deep shadow, and those lights from the stadium um, are are barely helping to illuminate a little bit more. And yeah, it's a it's a definitely an uncomfortable feeling, and. I think you're right to call out. I think if we get that five o'clock game and nationally televised, I think it's a thing where, uh, you know, it's only going to help a lot uh, for Max. But I guess on the other side, uh, we got to deal with it too, as you know, as an offense. I hate to bring this up, but it's looking like the Cardinals may back their way into that second wild card spot, and there is a good chance the Dodgers may have to play the Cardinals yet again in the postseason. And I know you've had a couple of disappointments against the Cardinals. Um, when you see that that red hat across the way, do you feel a little uneasy in a one-game playoff like that against that franchise? I think I think it brings up some funny memories when Puig – that was Puig's rival, remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that was – Puig wanted to name them the Dodgers' rival because of all the tough – tough outings we and he had against the Cardinals in the playoffs. And, um, yeah, I think that 2012, the 2015 run, um, definitely had some teams that could have ended up, you know, going on and having long successful playoff runs, but were cut short by some uh, Cardinals teams that, uh, you know, got us there in those games. Yeah. I felt like 2014, if you beat the Cardinals that year, no doubt you're going to the world series. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, but you know, we get back to that what a should have could a game, and I think it goes back to 
uh, if this team would have had, uh, you know, and I hate to say the elephant in the room, but if this team would have had a uh, Max Scherzer signed in 2015, uh, what the would have, should have, could have been also. Yeah, no doubt. But he's on their side now, and hopefully uh, the combination of him along with Julio Bueller and a healthy Kershaw will make a difference. And Andre, how about this? The last time we talked, Cody Bellinger was struggling. He still had the bat over his shoulder. And this week, he made a significant change to his batting stance where he's looking more like King Griffey Jr. with uh, the bat by his ear and a little bit more bent at the knees. What do you think about the changes? Hey, when in doubt, go to the kid's stance. I, yeah. I, don't, think that's a, I don't think that's a bad way to live. Um, I, I did that. I did that in my softball game the other night. Um, <laughs> that's right. If you, if you saw my post, I, that's how I went. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. That softball thing was tough. And I went straight to the, and I was fouling some balls off, went to the Ken Griffey Jr. stance, ball started flying. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Cody, I, I know he's had his up and downs. You know, I've heard, a, <laughs> I've heard a lot from, from fans, from people asking what's wrong with him. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, a lot of things, you know, from, you know, being not physically right to that mental fatigue to the mental uh, searching all starts playing a game. And, you know, it, when it rains, it pours. And um, my guy there has had some tough times. But you know what? Um, not giving up. And you can see he's trying to figure out how to how to make the most of it. I think that's encouraging as it gets. And if we can get him in some resemblance of himself going into the class, I think uh, – you know, this team's obviously that much, you know, for the better. Yeah, speaking of your softball swing, if you want to check out Andre Ethier on Instagram, at Everett Ethier, what was going on? Are you in a beer league now? Uh, yeah, I'm in a beer league. I play for the Rito's Mexican Food uh, softball team. They huh. uh, actually my favorite burrito, burrito spot here in town. And the last couple of years, the uh, owner, the, the owner's son, would always ask me every time I come in when I'm going to play for a softball team. And, uh, finally, this last time I went in there a couple of weeks ago, he goes, are you finally going to play for us? And I'm like, if I get two burritos a week for free, and he goes, deal. Uh, and so he kept hitting me up afterwards and, uh, yeah, I decided to go out there and give it a try. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough softball is a tough thing. I was not going to lie. Tuesday morning, I was hurting <laughs> sore all over. I was running nonstop. They had me playing left center, you know, the four outfielders in the outfield, but a lot of balls were coming my way and. Uh, I'm glad they got, like I said in my uh, post there, uh, had a low liner get up in the lights and hit right off the tip of my glove. I said, I'm glad they didn't get that one on film and only my highlights, not my low lights. Yeah. Did you, how far did you hit the highlight one that you posted? I have no idea, but I think it goes and it parlays perfectly into, you know, back into some of Cody's stuff, you know, all the other swings I was taking up there, I was trying too hard, trying to do stuff. And then, of course, the last I pitched, I said, you know, I'm trying to hit a line drive up the middle, and there it is. Ball explodes off the bat, home run over the fence, and, uh, you know, probably the swing I was trying the least amount to try to hit the ball hard. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't know how far it went, but it went pretty pretty far, they said. Hey, maybe uh, next year when things cool down even more with the pandemic, maybe we should do an Andre Ethier charity auction where whoever bids the most gets Andre Ethier for a week on their softball team. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah. And, hey, don't forget, we have the All-Star Game coming uh, this next summer, and they have the oh, big softball game that's along right. with that. So I'm going to be fresh and ready to go for that game. I'm going to double double time it for the old-timers game during next summer and the softball game for the All-Star Game. Oh, yeah. Andre Ethier, Charlotte McKinney, Jenny Finch, all on the same softball team. Dave Vassay sitting up in the booth like usual. That's right. From the cheap seats. As always, Andre, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, please keep us updated now on how the softball league is going. Appreciate it. Yep, uh, Topo Chico seltzers and uh, <laughs> burritos. What a better combo. All right. And no, no uh, Modelos or Coronas? Oh, yeah, of course that, too. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, what, all the, that's what all the teams drinking the whole time. Yeah, baby. Thanks, Dre. Thank you. There he goes, Andre Ethier. How about that? Softball playing beer league, Andre Ethier, these days. It went from tennis to golf to now softball. Hey, if you need Ethier next year on your softball team, we'll do an auction, no doubt about it. Anyway, thanks for joining us on episode 24 of the Extra Innings podcast presented by Corona. We will talk to you as we get closer to October. Don't forget, you can follow me on social media at the real underscore DV on Twitter and on Instagram at officially Vasse. We'll talk to you on episode 25 next week. See ya. We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app.